Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 12 of the Yacking Podcast. And here's where we talk about life, business, and more, and we bring you tips and ideas for a changing world. We have another interesting guest for you today, but first of all, I'm going to welcome Kathleen, my co-host to the show. How are you doing down there, Kathleen? I'm well, Peter. Thank you so much, and thank you to all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in today. We appreciate you. Good. Nice to see you again, Kathleen. And our weather is warming up. We are well above freezing for a change, so things are looking good. Our guest today is a gentleman, uh, well-experienced marketer and an author himself and a great mentor and aid to many aspiring authors and businessmen. And I have been in touch with him online virtually for several years. We have a number of things in common. So it's a great privilege and pleasure to introduce Chuck Bartok from Northern California. Welcome, Chuck. Well, thank you very much, Peter and Kathleen. It's an honor to be here. Uh, it's, uh, it, and it's kind of fun to actually see uh, Peter. Uh, we have spent a lot of time together. He's been on our call-in talk show several times. I love the beard. It does you well. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I did shave this morning at my wife's request, but because I didn't look as good as you. <laughs> <laughs> well, very. I don't want to delay things, but very quickly, the beard came about because I went for a little walk in Europe last yes, year. Yes, you did. And I think I told you, and it's it's easier when you're carrying stuff on your back not to have to worry about too much. So, and I got back here, and people said, "Well, it doesn't look too bad." So I thought we'll keep it. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough that's about good. me, Chuck. You're the that's guest. Good. You're the Kathleen, guy we want. Kathleen, I'm glad to see you don't have a beard. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, while we're on a lighter note, the other name for our podcast is Beauty and the Beast, and you know which way that works, <laughs> sense, don't you? <laughs> anyway, Chuck, you're the guest. We want to hear about you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that you have uh, you like horses, and I know you live on a, a small piece of ground or small acreage in Northern California, if I remember rightly. So tell us about how you got started and how you got to where you are now. Well, I, very, I, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, my lifestyle was set fairly early. I would say about uh, 9, 10, 11 years old. Uh, we moved from Chicago, South Chicago, to California. Uh, at that time, California was booming, 1950. A lot of the post-war vets were moving to California. Mm -hmm. And my folks bought a small place in a town called Downey, California, which had 3,000 people. It was east of Los Angeles, uh, you know, it was a trek to get to Los Angeles. Uh, when the interstate came in, or freeway as it was called, this town immediately jumped up to 30,000 people wow. overnight. But anyway, the, the home that we bought, GI home, typical, had a quarter of an acre of yard, which is a lot of land for us. Yeah. And uh, I found it fascinating to grow things. And I spent almost all my free time growing things. And as things were growing, I found out that this is really a cool thing to do because everything I grew helped other people. So then I expanded into lawn mowing because all these people had new homes. Mm -hmm. And I ended up with three employees. I was 13 or 14. I built three carts, bought three lawn mowers, three edgers, three everything. I went out and contacted the customers and they did the work as I did. And of course they were compensated and so was I. The thing that got my dad mad, he was an electrician. I was making more money than he was. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But, and then of course you always had to have a newspaper route. Yep. Now, 
here's what fascinated me and what I say set my lifestyle. I found out that if I asked the right questions and listened intently to the answers, I was always able to come up with a solution to somebody else's problem. Obviously, number one, they had to have an interest in you and you had to have an interest in them. Sure. And, you know, I don't want to make any of this sound like push the button and it's over with. Well, that evolved through high school. Uh, I was well employed in high school. I managed an A&W root beer stand while I was a full-time student. I left school. Uh, the, the root beer stand was across the street from the school, so I walked across the street. I opened it. I stopped there before I went to high school and opened it up, got the girls going, and then came back and so on. So uh, that really got me interested in providing food for people. But Again, going back to the growth, <laughs> growing sure. the vegetables in your garden. Yeah. Yeah. And, up in, and, and we actually delivered vegetables to our neighborhood. I sold my crop, okay? I found out early on I could get 50 pounds per tomato plant, and that's easy to do. So if you plant 10 tomato plants, you've got 500 pounds of tomatoes to sell. Right. Anyway, that evolved through college, uh, university. Uh, I was a life science major, and uh, I partnered up with a couple of professors, and we started a business when I was in school, which is still in existence today, by the way, many years wow. later. Uh, it's been in business now 65 years, 64 years. Yeah. And it had to do with managing pest populations in agricultural fields and orchards uh -huh. with a more natural solution. And I have a lot of terrible stories. We won't talk about it. But I, again, we asked farmers what was their problem. And through scientific research, we came up with solutions. And we, so there was no marketing involved because, you know, who's not going to try it? That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, well, one little interesting aspect, one of my associates, and I, I, they were financially very well off. I, you know, I'm dumb immigrant son, you know, I was not financially very well off. So uh, we were asked to go to Germany and speak to a bunch of German agriculturists and he flew over there. I was just a kid, you know, I was 23, 24 years old. And he was wow. an elderly gentleman. And so I was all excited. He, I came back. He said, well, how did we do? He says, well, great. I told them all about the things we do. And I showed them. I said, that's wonderful. What did we get out of it? He said, well, we told them. He says, well, that's good. <laughs> because <laughs> he could clip coupons at home. Do you understand yeah. what I mean? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so anyway, I decided I was down in the Coachella Valley and I decided, well, heck, this isn't going to work out. So I started farming myself. That led into not only farming, but then processing. And then I said, you know what? We have all this Palm Springs activity. Those people should be eating fresh food grown right here in the restaurants. Mm -hmm. So I went into the wholesale produce business also. Wow. So we were able to grow, process, deliver, and watch people eat it. Now, here's the advantage of a business. You always should try, not necessarily have to, try to take as many profit centers as you can. Yep. However, to do that, you can't be huge. No. Because you lose your ability to manage. So again, this will all sum up... <clears throat> 
long story short, I was in San Clemente for years. I had some good reasons to be there. I was successful in my financial services and also did some nice things for, <coughs> for the United States government. Mr. Nixon happened to be a, 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 an associate. And so anyway, my, the, the lovely woman I was married to, I always wanted a family. And I adopted her boy as soon as we got married. And she says, well, we have to have more money. So it got to the point of how much money do you need to have a family? I was making enough money to have 20 families. Right. <laughs> so we parted ways. The boy came up north with me and started high school. And I started farming. So I went back to my roots. Well, the same thing evolved. I found out that, hey, this little area needed food. I can grow 20 acres of vegetables and that satisfies this market. I don't have to worry about sending it to Detroit, San Francisco, Sacramento. Mm -hmm. So what I did on my 20 acres, not just me, my wife, current Shirley and, and the kids that we've had, uh, we grew what our neighbors needed. And we always asked our neighbors, what do you need? What do you like? How much do you want? So we basically grew what our market could take and we hit, we owned all the profit margins, right? The growing yeah, part, the harvesting yeah. part. We had a little produce store on. We also sold groceries at the produce store and so on. So anyway, that carried us through. The kids grew up and, and uh, then actually early on, we got involved with horses because both Shirley and I have a solid horse background. I'll make a quick plug. Her old boyfriend, Mark M. Hanna, H-A-N-N-A, markmhanna.com, has published a book and two more coming. In fact, we're in movie production on the first one uh, called The Horse Listener. Oh, interesting. Not, not Horse Whisperer. No, right. Horse Listener. Listener, yeah. But markmhanna.com. I know that name. I, I met I've... him. I met him because one day he called my wife and he didn't know we were married and that's how we met. But he was my wife's paramour in high school, and my wife taught him horses. Ah, so okay. she's in the book. So I got to know more about my wife by reading the books. Reading the book. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. That's interesting. So anyway, Shirley and I were involved. Our youngest son stayed in the business. He's a cutting horse trainer in Texas, very successful and well-known, an excellent horseman. We have, since you probably are aware of, 10 years ago, because of health reasons, both for Shirley and I, we did sell the ranch. And we moved into what we call a vintage citizen neighborhood. Ah, that sounds We're good. Way, way out in the country on the banks of the Sacramento River. I spent a couple hours this morning on the Sacramento River. The trout's coming in good. Uh, uh, stripers are there. So we're nice. still in a rural atmosphere, but we're in a neighborhood of of vintage citizens. <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> well put. And, and that's, that's where I am today. And the internet has allowed all of these ideas that I've had. Yeah. has allowed me the opportunity to share them with other people, such as Nancy. Yep. And since a young man I hired in 1970, uh, we've been together a long time, uh, we started publishing his books about five years ago and we applied the marketing system that has worked for me in every other product. Right. So my emphasis very quickly is authors need to think and develop a business mindset. Yep. Because it is so simple. 
if, if you're a good writer, I mean, and there's, everybody's a good writer. There's no reason why your book should not sell on a daily basis. When you take in the fact that of all the books published in the United States, the average number of sales of those books in their lifetime is 250 to 300 total. Yep. Zip. End yep. of time. We like to do five or six a day. Nancy likes to do five or six a day. Okay. And how you do that is you develop a tribe yes. while you're in the process of writing. Of writing. You don't which, write a book and publish it. Right. You let these people live with you as you are writing that book. And how do you go about that? Well, you build a website. And you let people know who you are. The most important page on your website is your about page. Okay. Uh, and, it, you know, it's got to be straightforward. What we do is we post chapters as they are being written. Give an example. You know, 30 Days Has September is a three-volume book. Uh, Jim has been laboring on the third book the last three days. No, the last three days of the story, not of the, the story. Yes, it's his experiences in Vietnam of 30 right. days. Okay, not a fun story. Uh, we published on the website 48 hours ago. 29th day, third part. Within 48 hours, it had 7,000 reads. 7,000 reads. Oh, wow. And we, we had over 150 comments on the website. Wow. That is now, I, I will just share with you, when that volume is finished, the third 10 days, yeah. and that volume is published, there will be no problem regarding sales. And yeah. the, the majority of our sales are from the website, not from Amazon. Not from Amazon. Sure. Because sure. our fans are, the, 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 the tribe, guess who edits our books? There, there, there's a reader by the name of Dan C. I've never met Dan C. I know mm -hmm. a little bit about him because it's been three years. He sent on the website, in the comments section, a list of 17 major edits. I immediately went in and edited that, and then we thanked him publicly. So on the comment section are Dan's edits. Yep. Okay? Yep. And, and, and on that same chapter, there were several people who caught other little nuances. Right, right. So when it's all done, <laughs> your book's edited. Yes. Your, your book is edited by the people who want it. Who want it. And, and they've got ownership now because they've That's had right. a contribution. They've got to buy it, haven't they? That's right. That's right. Wow! Okay, yeah, that's anyway, that, good. I don't know if I don't know if we covered it. <laughs> that's really good. Chuck, I'd still like to have a little bit more information because I think I'm missing a piece here. So okay. I understand the notion of of getting a tribe. I understand the notion of of publishing the the chapters, mm -hmm. individual chapters, but you have to drive traffic. Thank you. To even. Thank you to even read those chapters. So taking a step back, how do you even get to that point? Okay, since I started doing this publishing thing, since social media came onto the fore. So we have an author page that has over 16,000 fans. So when I published this morning's chapter, which is the 29th night, 
it immediately went to the page, a brief synopsis. Ah, okay. And the link goes directly to the website. Right. Now, I believe just before this call, there have been 1,200 readers that have read that since I published that page this morning. Through the website. Facebook sends well over a half a million readers, Facebook alone, not not counting Twitter and the other social media platforms, uh, over a half a million readers to the website. Only because we ask the readers to come. Ask and ye shall receive. Okay. Don't These assume. Are not sponsored ads. Pardon? These are not sponsored ads on well, Facebook. I, I'll be very honest with you. Very honest. Initially, when you're a nobody, mm-hmm. you try to reach out. What we occasionally do now is we will very penuriously boost a post. We've never right. written an ad. Yep. It's a waste of time and money we boost a post to the demographic that we've designed. Now, regarding the Vietnam book, obviously, Vietnam vets, That's right. United yeah. States Marine Corps, uh, World War II vets, Korean War vets, all of the key words is who those boosted posts go to. And that's how we grew to 16,000 fans. Right. Now, the most important secret you have to spend a little money. And I, I'm talking a $50 po- a boost. Mm-hmm. $50, okay? You're selling a book for $28.95. You've got a nice margin on it because it's a book that you're shipping out, okay? And you don't have to sell a lot of those to make up the $50. Sure. But more importantly, more importantly, you're meeting new fans. Mm-hmm. But the key of these posts is we always ask have these being shared and when you wake up in the morning 48 out of 24 hours later and see that 120 people shared that post for free for free yeah just gone viral because who are they going to share them to who is a 63 year old retired steam fitter going to share that post to that's right his family to a bunch of 20 year olds no no he's going to share them to his peer group yep or her peer group, excuse yep. me. I hope I answered that, Kathleen. Yes, you did. Thank well you. Well done. So very good. Looking back on a very successful career, Chuck, what would be some advice that you could provide for any solopreneurs, entrepreneurs out there? What would you say to them? Believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Never stop asking questions and shut up and listen. <laughs> I've been rattling on here for you to say, well, that guy doesn't do what he says because you asked me to be here. So. <laughs> yeah, we asked you. Yes, okay. So you listen intently. You listen actively. I have a free book on my website, you know, Active Listening. It's a good little book. 60 pages, read it, it's free, you know, download, thousands of people have downloaded the, And then deliver as promised. Mm. I don't care what the product is. Uh, I have, I do, quote, sell my services to people who are interested in having me help guide them to get to where they want to be. And I want to really emphasize this. I have helped many people and shown them through Zoom how to build an effective website. 
No, I don't go in there and manage your website. I'm sorry. I showed Nancy how, and she shared with you some of her statistics. That's right. Yes, she did. Nancy's in control of her own destiny. I am very close to Nancy. Okay, we've we've evolved into a very very simpatico relationship. In fact, Nancy's married name is Henderson. My wife's maiden name is Henderson. And when oh, yeah. Nancy calls and I'm not here, or if she surely answers, well, she's, your other wife's on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Nancy, all I did was point her in the right direction because that website has to be you. Yeah. See, how can somebody build you a website? And how can somebody do your about page? And how can somebody answer comments? No, you're They're right. not you. It no. has to be Peter. It has to be Kathleen. So you ask the question, believe in yourself, have a written plan of action for every campaign, only assign yourself one or two tasks a day other than your routine. I prefer one. Make sure that you will never go to sleep until that task that you had set the night before is completed. And when you kneel down to give thanks to, for the opportunity to be here today, you can pat yourself on the back and say, what a good boy or what a good girl am I? And therefore, when you wake up the next day, you're just tickled to death because you have another opportunity to do the same thing you did yesterday. And that's do what you said you're going to do to yourself, which is going to help people. Yep. And I know you're probably running out of time. Uh, Peter knows that three books that I read in 1960 set my lifestyle. Napoleon Hill, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Yep. But he was the last. The first was Orison Sweat Marden, The Miracle of Right Thought. Yeah. Marden then, or the next gentleman that I subscribe to heavily and have used over and over again, uh, I've, too many times, uh, Charles Hennell's The Master Key. Muskie, that's Napoleon right. Yeah. Hill, Napoleon Hill was a student of Hanel. Correct. In fact, Napoleon Hill attributes his success to week number four of Hanel's 24 weeks. Okay? Right, right, right. So I have given away literally thousands of copies of those books on my website now and in other places. But those books set a lifestyle pattern. Napoleon Hill was succinct at the end. And he asked you to develop a definite major purpose, which I declared publicly and wrote down in 1960. And that was my definite major purpose in life is to live autonomously and help others. Nothing else, nothing else to cloud my life. That's the only job I have is to live an autonomous life. And to help others. To help others. Jack, we're going to run out of time in a minute. I, and I, I want to give you the opportunity in a moment to tell people, our listeners and viewers, how they can contact you. But we, we have a couple of minutes. Quick one. I know that your wife has an unusual hobby from what I've seen on your Facebook page. And it, it's really intriguing because um, I just think it's wonderful. Just take a minute and tell us what she does. Well, my wife has always been artistic. But as I mentioned, the way we lived was very intense. We had livestock and the farming. Mm-hmm. And we had the produce store and Shirley was, you know, I mean, she, we were busy sure. 20 hours a day. As our lives slowed down and health issues did, well, we had to leave the horse business for health reasons. 
And my wife has always been artistic, so she cut loose and she loves working with wood and she just creates Shirley's yard art. She creates things that are fun for the yard out of wood. And then she has a lot of home decor, indoor art. She does a lot of custom work for people. One of her things that has been very popular for years is she does a very large Southwestern cross, but you can put pictures in them. Ah, We've had a couple for their wedding. They had a Southwestern cross made and then at the either end of the top and the bottom are pictures from the wedding. Lovely, and, and lovely. Another cross that's been very popular is the In Memoriam Cross, where right. a family would have a cross on the wall with pictures of deceased relatives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that might sound maudlin today, but that, that's her decor, her, her yard. Well, we live on the Sacramento River, and when we walk, we always, the, the river provides us lots of rocks because it floods every year and doesn't flood and so on and so forth. So Shirley also started painting rocks. That's what I've seen, yeah. But not the, you know, standard that you see. You know, I mean, she really paints some fabulous rocks. They're pieces of art as far as a lot of people are. Because, uh, again, going back to Nancy real quick, last year Nancy bought three of Shirley's pet monkey rocks. Oh, nice. Which are about, <laughs> about, about hand size. Nancy put them in the Easter baskets of the great-grandkids. Yeah. And every one of those kids continue to carry those rocks. They those are, rocks are Those are their pet monkeys. They put them on the bed next to them at night. Ah, uh, so lovely. So, <laughs> so it's that concept. I hope that didn't take too much time. No, no, that's fine. Shirley'sYardArt.com will get you there. Shirley'sYardArt.com. And by the way, what is there is not all of her stuff. I, I, I can't put all of her stuff up. <laughs> Shirley'sYardArt.com. Okay. And Chuck, um, how do people contact you if they want to well, know more probably, about you and your website? Probably ChuckBartok.com, which interestingly enough, after all these years, this is the first website I've had with my name on it. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I've had many memberships. The Beginner's Marketing Class. Right. Which is what started the podcast. And then uh, Best Business Mindset. Again, talking about the business mind. So this year, or last year, I decided, well, this year, I guess, last year, I decided to have ChuckBartok.com finally go somewhere. And I'm pulling old articles in. So That's okay. But from there, they can also find your Facebook links and Facebook, ChuckBartok, right, Twitter, and so on. Uh, Facebook is where I spend most of my time, as you okay. all know. I know you don't. It's no. I... And to, to go back very quickly to Kathleen, Kathleen's social media, this facade, this miss, this myth that you have to be everywhere is BS. Yeah. There are people, Carmen Baca, an author from New Mexico, mm-hmm. fabulous lady, retired school teacher, 37 years English teacher, uh, you know, Hispanic lady who, who writes about real New Mexico Hispanic culture. Right. She is powerful on Twitter. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And she's powerful on Facebook, but she's more powerful. I am stink on Twitter. <laughs> and, and and Nancy is stink on Twitter, but we both do Facebook well. Right. So yep, you have to well. feel comfortable with the platform. So yep. There's there's no one size fits all. No, no, right. no, no. Oh, very good. Chuck, thank you very much. Uh, so we will 
put a caption under there that people can fi follow that to get to your website and then they can from there they can go to Facebook and we'll put a little note on Shetty. So we really appreciate you being on our show. Kathleen, have you any last words for Chuck? Thank you so much, Chuck. This was very informative. You're welcome. You're Hope welcome. You and I have to ask you very quick, how are the tiny homes going? The tiny home, the interest is, is good. Um, we're getting lots of interest. Obviously, things activity-wise are fairly slow, not right at the moment because of sure. the situation. Sure. But uh, we are getting some really good days of visits to our website, one good. particular tiny home in particular. It's coming. Yeah, good. it's, it's keeping us busy. Let's close on a good note. Yesterday, yes. yesterday we called to our, we live in a town of about 3,000 people. And we wanted Mexican food and we have a favorite family Mexican restaurant. And obviously they're closed, yep. but they had takeout. So I called for our normal and uh, drove into town and got it. And I was talking to the mother and daughter. And I said, how are things going for you? And she looked around, there was nobody else in the restaurant. She says, our sales are up at a phenomenal rate and our overhead is down at a phenomenal rate. Correct. And we think this is going to continue. Hmm. Yeah. Isn't that weird? That's, That's a yeah. positive note about a negative thing. Right. Absolutely. That, it's good to hear. Thank you for sharing that one. And to our listeners and viewers, that's it for today. We'll be back later in the week with the next episode of the Yakking Podcast. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks, Thank Chuck. You. Thank you.